All right, well, good morning, Crossing Church. Uh, Here we are again. Uh, This is number three in our uh, seven-week series of virtual church, at least through the end of uh, April, we would see, uh, because of the president bringing the stay-at-home policy down till April 30th, so we're going to abide by that. Let me just introduce you to who's in the room. We got Daniel Smith to my right. We got Chad Chad Barlow to my left, and up in the booth, we got T.D. Tyler Dell. So we all say welcome, wherever you guys are at this morning. Uh, and all seriousness, no, welcome uh, to our time together uh, this Sunday in our, as we gather together for in the Word. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11. We'll be covering verses 1 through 11. But first, just one quick announcement. One, I just want to encourage you guys. I love the way you guys have been responding uh, in the midst of this trial. The Crossing Church uh, has responded as Christ would respond, with love, with grace, with mercy, with self-sacrifice. Uh, as I talk to many of you throughout the week, I, I hear how you're loving God, how this time has, has caused you to be more dependent on the Lord. It's, it's, it's driven you to the Word of God. It's driven you to your knees in prayer and asking for guidance and wisdom and peace and all that comes in with loving God. It's also driven you guys uh, to live in gospel community, even though we can't gather together in our Sunday gatherings uh, during uh, Sundays or, or during the week in our life groups or our journey groups. You guys are getting after it. You guys are coming up with creative ways to get together through Zoom and other media outlets uh, where you guys are, are, are living in fellowship together. You're encouraging one another. You're supporting one another. And it's a beautiful thing. And then also how we're living. We're, we're, we're taking the gospel and leaving a legacy. We're leaving a legacy of those outside the church. And uh, one way in particular that we are doing that is what we call TCDC, the Crossing Distribution Center. We've turned up with uh, Serve 6-8, which is a ministry that uh, we support here. And um, it's a ministry that um, is providing uh, supplies, food, um, toiletries, uh, basic hygiene stuff, um, snacks to those that, that need it right now. It's a tough time. And so um, every Sunday from here until uh, we decide we don't need to do it anymore, every Sunday from 2 to 4, the crossing will be a distribution center of these bags to those who need. So right now, be thinking of individuals in your circles of influence that, that need this, that are, are in, a, in a time where they need some help. Uh, Remind them, tell them about TCDC every Sunday from 2 to 4. Now, as we go on, we're going to need volunteers to help stuff the bags. We're going to need volunteers to, to bring some of these items uh, to, to give out. And so um, if that's uh, one of you, please contact Daniel Smith. He is going to be the main contact of the TCDC to donate and to volunteer. So yeah, we are leaving a legacy with those who do not know Jesus. And then lastly, we're going to have resources. This is, this is Holy Week. This is Passion Week. This is what we're going to focus on today, the triumphal entry. We're going to have resources on the realm each and every day this week, um, starting tomorrow, Sunday. So make sure you guys are checking that out on the realm as well. All right, with that, we are going to be in Mark chapter 11. So with you, please uh, follow along as I read along. Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage of Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. 
If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. Verse 4, and they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those who were standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches as they cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed him were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I want to thank you for this day, the day that we just read about, the first day of Passion Week. Lord, here is where the world would never be the same, that you would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. And so, Lord, I just pray for all of us in here that as we meditate on this familiar passage that we would would see it afresh, anew, because it has implications even for us this morning. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he, he answered the call from the Father to come and be our atoning sacrifice. He answered the call to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, knowing what was ahead of him that week. At the end of that week, it would be the cross in which he would pay for our sins. And then three days later, rise again to show us that he truly was the Messiah, the Savior, the King, who was prophesied in the Old Testament. Lord, we thank you for this truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this morning, as I was studying and preparing and getting ready to just going over the notes of my message, I actually changed up the whole introduction. I changed up the whole introduction. I just felt as I was been, again, talking to many of you throughout the week, I think the Holy Spirit just impressed on my heart that um, I need to change it up. And I need to address this topic. You see, all of us are experiencing a number of different emotions as we deal with COVID-19, also known as coronavirus. And, and, and some of you might not be able to put your finger on it why you're feeling certain ways. You're feeling down. You're feeling um, maybe lethargic. You're not, you, you don't have any motivation to do things. And, you're, and you're just, you just can't put your finger on why. why. Why are we feeling this way? And again, after having several conversations with many of you, um, may I suggest it might be this. It might be grief. It might be loss. Um, we all are experiencing some kind of loss over the last several weeks, dealing with this pandemic. We have all lost something. And some of these things that we've lost will will come back, such as our Sunday gatherings. One day we will gather together physically again, all together here at the crossing. Uh, Some of our date nights, the ability to go out and enjoy Fort Collins in northern Colorado, the ability to to meet with friends in coffee shops and hangouts, Uh, the ability to Get, go back to work in, in that job that you love to do. We'll even get back to go to you know, sporting events right now that we can't go back to. Uh, NFL games, Bronco games, CSU games, Rocky baseball, Colorado Avalanche, Colorado Eagles. We'll get, we'll get to go back to those things that we lost. 
And I don't mind if the NBA doesn't come back. We can, we can keep that one lost forever in my book. But some things will come back. Some losses will come back. But the reality is some of these losses won't come back. We'll, we'll never gain them back. My, my son, uh, Stephen, is a, is a senior this year. He's graduating high school as a senior. And um, you know, senior prom is a big deal for these guys. For Daddy and for, for myself and Rita, it's a win because our pocketbook wins, right? Um, but for Stephen, it's a loss. It's, it's that last time to go hang out with his friends in that kind of atmosphere. His graduation, they're not going to be able to do an all-group graduation at CSU where you have thousands of people up in the stands. When that name gets called, they get to walk across and they get to hear the the, the roars of the crowd. Uh, Playing his last uh, high school year of lacrosse with teammates that he's played with for seven plus years. They'll never get to don that jersey again. These things won't come back. Some of us might even lose loved ones by the time that this is over. So we're dealing with loss. We're dealing with grief. Ecclesiastes 3.3 says, There is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. So let's just pause. Let's take today and, and, the, and this week and, and let's take some time to identify the things that we have been feeling lately is loss, is grief, is mourning. And let us acknowledge it and let's be mindful and sympathetic and compassionate to those around us and let's enter into where they feel this loss and where they are mourning. And because of this, this is why I, I, I changed that. Because, because of this, because of this loss, because of this mourning that we are feeling, I don't think it's an accident that we uh, are dealing with COVID-19 as we enter Passion Week, as we enter the Easter season. I think the Lord in his wisdom wants us to get our eyes onto Jesus this week. His last week in which he walked this earth, in which he overcame much suffering, loss, and even death. And I think if we keep our eyes on Jesus, this will help us see our situation correctly and it will help us move past it, move through this grief in this time of mourning in the coming weeks. And so that was the introduction that I think now brings us to today at the beginning of the final week of Jesus Christ's life here on earth. And it's known as the Passion Week. It's known as Holy Week. It's known as the Easter season. And it begins here with the triumphal entry, or otherwise known as Palm Sunday, where Jesus rides in on a donkey. The Christmas story is important, but only two of the gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, tell us about that story. But all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record the triumphal entry and the last week of Jesus that ends with his death and resurrection. And we know in Scripture that when when the Lord repeats something twice or something repeated twice in Scripture, we are to pay attention. It's important to Jesus. It's like highlighting or underlining that. So when he says, truly, truly, two times, he says that. It's like, listen up. Jesus is saying something. When he mentions uh, three times uh, in uh, Isaiah 6 and Romans 4 where the Lord is holy, holy, holy. It's like, really, we really need to listen to that. But here, when he mentions something four times, we really need to pay attention. We need to be alert to what the gospel writers are writing and why they are writing. In the gospel of Mark, the last week of Jesus takes up one-third of his gospel. 
Chapters 1 through 10 cover 30 plus years of Jesus' life. And chapters 11 through 16 chronicle his last week. So this is hugely important to the apostles, to the gospel writers. The main point the gospel writers are trying to get across to us in their writings is to recount the story of redemption secured. How did Jesus secure our redemption? And we see it was through his active obedience that Jesus was born and he lived a perfect life in our place, a life that we could not live. He was sinless. He perfectly fulfilled the laws and the commands of the Lord. That was his active obedience. And then also this last week deals with his passive obedience, ultimately him dying on the cross for our sins. So this is massively important to us, this Passion Week. And when I say Passion Week, it doesn't mean that Jesus had a love for Jerusalem or a love for the Jews, though he did. When we say passion, the word literally means suffering. This is Christ's suffering week. It is intense and is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. It is the climax of Jesus' life on earth, his death and resurrection to secure our salvation. This is why Jesus came to earth. He came to live to die, and to live again. And so with that, let's look at our first point. Jesus arrives. Jesus arrives in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 11 of Mark. Now when I drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives. This is Sunday. This is Sunday. This is the beginning of the week for the Jewish then. Um, It's our Monday. The Jews, Sunday was their beginning of their work week. And we see that Jesus is wrapping up his his public ministry, and he's coming from the east. He's coming from Jericho, as we read back in the the last couple verses in in Mark chapter 10, where he heals some blind men. But he's leaving Jericho. Now, Jericho is the lowest city, uh, I think, uh, in the the world. It is 800 feet below sea level. And Jesus and the 12 are taking this this journey by foot over the mount to the Mount of Olives and ultimately to Jerusalem, which is 28 feet, 2,800 feet above sea level. And this is an 18-mile hike straight up. And it takes most of the day. For us that live in the Fort Collins, northern Colorado area, it would be like going to Risk Canyon. Risk Canyon, you climb about 28 um, vertical feet in about 10 miles. It is a brutal climb. I've ridden it by bike, and it is brutal. I can't imagine just walking, uh, walking that. So it's a, it's a massive hike. But the point here that Jesus is getting to is that in the next couple verses, or the, or, or the writer Mark is getting to, that in the next couple verses, Jesus is going to fulfill a major prophecy from the Old Testament regarding this king, this Messiah that is coming to save Israel. He's very detailed. And it's a very interesting because it focuses it, most of his attention on verses 2 to 4, on getting a donkey. On getting a donkey. Have you ever stopped and thought, it's like, why does the author of Mark and others, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, and John, also give attention to this donkey? Well, let's find out. It says this, that Jesus sent two of his disciples, don't know which two, and he said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt or a young donkey tied, on which no one has ever sat, untie it and bring it. And if everyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back immediately. And then verse 4 it says, And then they went on their way and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those who were standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? 
And they told him what Jesus had said. The Lord has need of it, and they let him go. This is kind of an interesting situation. Um, I love what the disciples do here. They, they obey Jesus. They go on. But it's almost as if they're doing something illegal, right? It's almost as if they're stealing the donkey. And it's also, they also have to use like the force. It's like when these guys see them untying it, they, they act like Jedis. And, and they said, what are you doing? And they said, the Lord needs the. And they said, okay, well, of course, they let him go. But of course, it's not stealing because we see that the Lord says he needs of it and will send it back immediately. So they are just borrowing the donkey. But it's a weird story. Why does Jesus need a donkey? Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, why does Jesus need a donkey? I mean, everywhere else in Scripture, do we ever read him riding an animal? No, he walks everywhere. Now, all of a sudden, he wants to, to, to ride a donkey. Now, all of a sudden, he needs a donkey to ride into town with. Well, Matthew gives us the answer of why does Jesus need the donkey. In his account, Matthew writes in 21 verse 4, why Jesus needs the donkey, because he is fulfilling a prophecy out of Zechariah chapter 9. In Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout out loud, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold your king. Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he humbled and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, the fowl of a donkey. So we see that this is Matthew's account. He also adds another little detail in there. It says this, that no one has ever sat. Now why is that detail in there? That detail is in there, and it's important, because in Numbers 19 or Deuteronomy 21 and 1 Samuel chapter 6, an animal that has never been written is considered to be holy, is considered to be set apart. So what we see here is Matthew tells you why we need a donkey. Because Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah. That he is going to be coming as this humble king, mounted on this holy donkey. Something that has been set apart for him. And what we see here in one way is that Jesus is is exercising his foreknowledge, his sovereignty over every situation. Even the simplest action of going into town and getting a donkey to ride. But he's doing this to fulfill a 500-year-old prophecy. A 500-year-old prophecy. The main point for the readers of 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 Israel, reading this portion of Scripture and tracking it back to Zechariah 9, this would be mind-boggling to them. This would be mind-blowing to them. Jesus riding a donkey into Jerusalem, he is saying something, is proclaiming something. And it is publicly proclaiming that this, that Jesus is saying what Zechariah wrote in chapter 9, verse 9, he is writing about me. I am the humble king coming to you. I am the savior. I am the one who will redeem you. Now what's interesting about this is if you recall earlier in the gospel accounts, in all of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell us when Jesus was doing his public ministry, he would do the miracles, he would do the healings, he, would, he was proclaiming truth, and people were like, man, this guy, where's this guy from? We've never heard teaching like this. He would always tell the people, and in particular his disciples, don't tell everyone who I really am. Keep it quiet. Now is not the time for me to be revealed. But here, in Mark chapter 11, the time is now for him to be revealed. Jesus is saying, I am the king. 
that was prophesied some 500 years ago. Jesus riding on this donkey is actually speaking louder than words right now. And I wanted to contrast this. This is known, this text is known as the triumphal entry. And any Roman citizen reading this account after it's taken place would be like, this doesn't sound too triumphal. In their context, they'd be like, what's the big deal? The Romans had a triumphal entry. And many of us that watch the movie Gladiator, we see um, kind of captures a triumphal entry well when after the Battle of Germania and they ride into town, uh, they ride back into Rome. And it's this picture. Uh, one said this, uh, uh, Valerius Maximus said this, this is what would get you a triumphal entry, uh, entry if you were a Roman emperor general, that you would have to win a great battle. And had to be, in this one great battle that you have won, you'd have to kill at least 5,000 men of the enemy. So in one battle, you have to win it, and upon winning it, you must also kill at least 5,000 men. For that, if you did that, you would get this triumphal entry. And the triumphal entry would look something along this. You would enter Rome with this mass parade. First, there would be all the citizens of Rome would be there gathered in the streets waiting for you. And, you, and this emperor would, would ride in on this golden chariot, usually pulled, pulled by three stallions, just magnificent-looking horses. And then they would be, uh, you would be leading the pack, and behind you, you would have your, your soldiers, those who you won the war with. And then you would have all the treasures and all the spoils that you have gained from winning this war. And then behind that, you would have... Uh, the soldiers that you conquered that would be now slaves. They would be coming behind you. This would be the, the, the way that you would enter the city. This would be the procession. This would be massive. It would be grand. It would be huge on the scene. That would be a triumphal entry. And so anyone back in those days reading this, Jesus riding into town on a donkey with 12 homeless men, namely fishermen or tax gatherers, would say, what is so triumphal about this entry? But here's what we see is this is an upside-down triumphal entry. Jesus rules his kingdom not by the standards of the world and the expectations of the world, but by heaven and his expectations and his standards. You see, we know that Jesus didn't come to defeat Rome here physically, but a much different and greater enemy he came to win a war, uh, wage a war against and win, and that was our sin. Even though Jesus was coming on into Jerusalem on a donkey, an animal of peace, an animal of humility, an animal that was also seen as a royal animal, make no mistake, he was coming to wage war. He was coming to wage war, not against Rome, but against sin. He was coming to wage war for the salvation of our souls. He knew exactly what he was about to do in Jerusalem. Mark 10, 32 kind of gives us the the picture there where he says, I'm going to Jerusalem where I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be crucified. He, He set his face. He's leading the disciples out front to Jerusalem on this journey. And there's one quick thing I want you to to be reminded of, that all this stuff that's about to happen this week didn't happen by accident. It was planned by the sovereignty of God before the foundations of the world. Jesus knew what he was walking into, and he was prepared. One said this, a a great triumph happened in Jerusalem later that week because of the death, burial, and resurrection, and also the powerful preaching that followed. You see, I want to focus on that last piece, last piece, and the powerful 
preaching that followed. We know that Jesus died on the cross on Friday. We know that he was raised again on Sunday. We know later on, a couple days later, a handful of days later, 40 or so days, he ascended to the Father. And then we know that the, the, the Holy Spirit was sent um, to uh, Peter and the rest of the apostles in the upper room. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that propelled Peter and the gang to go out and start proclaiming. In Acts uh, chapter 2 through Acts chapter 4, we see Peter just, just preaching these powerful Holy Spirit-filled messages. And this is what it says in Acts 4.4. But many of those who had heard the word believed they were saved. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. You see, Jesus rules in an upside-down kingdom. This is an upside-down triumphal entry, not because he slaughtered 5,000 men of his enemies, but because he saved 5,000 of his enemies and many, many more. Not because he slaughtered them, but because he saved them. This is why this is a triumphal entry. Because what Jesus is about to do in the coming weeks, in the coming months, in the coming years, even to our generation, is that this kingdom is still triumphant. This kingdom, ruled by King Jesus, is still saving people. This week, Jesus established the glory of the eternal kingdom. This week, this Passion Week, he established the glory of his eternal kingdom, and the glory of Rome would soon fade. So this is where Jesus arrives, and in arriving, he reveals that he is the humble king that has come to wage war and win the war on sin. Secondly, we see the crowd shout, verses 7 through 10, the crowd shout. And they brought the colt, the donkey, to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches, and they had cut from the fields. And those that went before them, those who followed, were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who came in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. See, so remember, as we just talked about, the Jews and the religious leaders believed that the Messiah would come and um, be a conquering king and would physically rescue, and here be physically rescuing from the oppression of Rome. They would think that would be heaven on earth, but obviously Jesus came uh, um, uh, to a greater re- re- uh, Jesus came to conquer a greater reality, the reality of sin, and, uh, and for spiritual reasons. And the crowd is familiar with Jesus and his ministry. In John's gospel, it says that they came because they heard that they raised Lazarus from the dead. And surely if they, Jesus could raise someone from the dead, then of course he could perform another miracle and save us from Roman oppression. That was their thinking. And so when they see Jesus coming, they think that, the, hey, we're finally going to be saved. And therefore they act accordingly. We see they do three things. First, they spread their cloaks. Look at verse 8. They spread their cloaks. And this would take them back to 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, where the Lord anointed Jehud as king. It says this. It says, Then in haste every man of them took his garment and put it under him, and bare the steps, and they blew the trumpets and proclaimed, Jehu is king. So what they do is they took off their coats and they laid them down. They, they rolled out the red carpet. It would be like us when we uh, go to a big uh, event and stuff. And they have a red carpet in which people walk down. This is what they did. They, they rolled out the red carpet for Jehu to honor him as king. Them putting down their cloaks would signify them submitting to the authority of king. 
And so here, these people are, are throwing down their cloaks in reminiscence, uh, reminiscent of Second Kings and what they did for Jehu. And the people are saying, it's like, we are putting our authority, we are going to follow you as our authority, Jesus. We're going to f- come under your leadership. And we know that it's a fickle because it only lasts this day. Secondly, so we see him as he rolls out as king. In verse 8, they also spread leafy branches, palm branches. And this symbolizes victory. This symbolizes victory. When Judas Maccabeus led uh, Jewish victory in, 16, uh, in, in 164 B.C., the crowd celebrated this victory led by Judas by waving palm branches and commemorating them to commemorate the victory. Judas the hammer uh, stamped an image because of this great victory. He stamped an image of palm branches into their coins, symbolizing again the Jewish victory over their oppressors. This happened roughly 150 years later, where now Jesus is, wa- is riding in on a donkey and they are waving palm branches. The Jewish people are seeing their victory over Rome coming to fruition through Jesus. And it'd be kind of like us waving our flags on 4th of July. This is what they're doing. So you see this. They're, they're celebrating him as king by spreading their cloaks on the ground and, 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 and saying that, Jesus, we will be submit to your authority. We see that they are, are claiming victory already in verse 8. And lastly, it's, it, it leads them to shouts of praise. It leads them almost to, to worship. As the pilgrims are coming to Jerusalem, this would be a yearly event uh, for the Passover. They would be shouting these psalms back and forth, Psalms uh, 113 to 118. The praise the Lord, their psalms. Again, this would be done every Passover, but this Passover was a little bit different because they added a phrase which we'll see in verse 10. So you have millions, some say hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of these pilgrims coming from all over the world, and they're, and they're on the same path to get to Jerusalem. And what they would do is on this path is they would kind of split up um, and they would shout these, 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 sings, these psalms back to one another. If you guys were, were here in the, in the sanctuary, I'd split you guys up and we would do this together, where half of you would say, Hosanna, and then the other half of you would say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what are they saying? They're saying, Hosanna, which means save us, Deliver us now. They're acknowledging again Jesus as this warrior king. And they're telling him to save us, deliver us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This psalm is from Psalm 118, verses 25 to 26, known as a, a conqueror's psalm. So they're thinking that Jesus come to conquer Rome. And they're shouting this back and forth. But I said they accept, they add on a phrase here in verse 10. They add on the phrase, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. This kingdom with this man Jesus. They are connecting Jesus back to the prophecy in 2 Samuel chapter 7 when they say one true king would come and reign forever through this line of David. And they're saying that Jesus is this king. They're saying Jesus is this king. And so we might say that the crowd kind of gets it. But they, they kind of get it. Again, this isn't their reality. Even though they're saying this now as they're proceeding to Jerusalem, we know that the next day that that Jesus and this whole event will be limited in their mind. It will be forgotten. They will be on to their own lives and their own uh, ways to, to worship during this Passover time. But here's the deal. And I say that because some of these same people that are proclaiming him as king, proclaiming his victory, 
saying that he is coming from the line of David. These could be some of the same people at the end of the week would be screaming and yelling along with Pilate and the rest, crucify him, crucify him. And even the disciples didn't fully get it. In John's account, John 12, 16, it says this, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered. And then we come to verse 11, this kind of ending verse of this, of day, of day one. And it says this, and he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The crowd is gone. The scene is gone. The energy, the passion is gone. It's just Jesus and his 12 disciples at the temple. And he's looking over his father's house. And I love what the ESV points out. The ESV study Bible says this. He looks around at the center of the Jewish religious life, which would be the temple. And he asks himself the question, is this fulfilling the purpose? Is the temple fulfilling the purpose of leading people to true worship of God. We see Jesus walks in. It's dark. It's late. It's night. Not a lot of people again. It's dispersed. It's him and his 12, maybe a couple others. And we see that Jesus is intently looking. He's scanning. He's, he's collecting, gathering data to see if the temple was fulfilling its purpose. Again, the temple was the very presence of God back in that day. This is where people came to worship. The temple, uh, God was the focal point of the temple, and Jesus is looking around to see if this is indeed the case. The next day, we, we actually get what his assessment was. His actions the next day speak loud and clear to us. In, Ma- in Mark chapter 11, verse 17, we see that, that Jesus is cleansing the temple. And he says this, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. His assessment is, it is not. The temple is not fulfilling its purpose leading to true worshipers. And the fault is not of the temple itself, it's of those who are overseeing the temple. Instead of making it a place of worship, it looks more like a crooked farmer's market. And because of that, it grieves Jesus' heart. And he cleanses the temple. This would end the first day. It would fade to black. And that brings us to our third point. What is our response? What is the crossing's response in 2020? This demands a response from us today. As we look back on the completion of this week, thousands of years later, as we look back and see what Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has accomplished, it is... It is saying something clear to us. It is clear that Jesus is saying to us in the world that I am the Savior. And we have 2,000 years of history and facts and evidence to prove that, both physically as well as spiritually. He's saying, I am the King. I am the humble King. I did indeed come riding in on a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah Zechariah chapter 9. Not only for Israel, but for the whole world. And I love what Tim Keller says about Jesus. He says this, whenever Jesus comes to any place or persons, he says, crown me or kill me. Those are your two options. Those are your two options for all of us this morning, to either crown Jesus or to reject and kill him. So I want us to pause this morning during this time, and I want us to soberly think about this, each and every one of us. What do we do with Jesus? Do we crown him? Or do we reject him? 
You see, because here's the thing about the Christian faith. The, the Christian faith is not about it being the best religion or, the, or giving us an inner peace. or it's a, it's, a, it's a religion that's going to meet all of our personal needs and change our lives. Although those things are true, I believe, in Jesus. Jesus will certainly change our lives. He will certainly provide for our needs. And it is the best religion because it is the one religion that will save us. But the most important reason why we are Christians and we believe in the gospel and Christianity is because it's true. Because it's true. You see, Jesus really did enter Jerusalem and fulfill all these prophecies. In fact, our whole religion, our whole, our whole faith stands or falls upon the fact that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And either God did these things to save us from our sins or he did not. And we would look back and say that he did. And if Jesus fulfills all these messianic prophecies in such exacting detail, and if you're not a Christian this morning, ask yourself, what are you waiting for? Why not? Today would be the day to repent and trust in Jesus. And for those of us that have, for those of us that have, that by God's grace we have been able to repent and trust in him, we see as we look at Jesus' life, as we would go through this account this week, by the time we get to the end of the week, the temple would be obsolete. The temple would be obsolete. Jesus, again, would go on to die. He would raise. He would ascend to the Father. Then he would send us the Holy Spirit, and he has created new temples. And the new temples are believers, are, are Christians, are you and me. And so the question for us this morning is, how can you, how can I reveal the presence of God to people this week? How can we show them what true worship looks like to love God through love, through mercy, through grace, through self-sacrifice? How can we point people to Jesus and the gospel so that they will come and worship the one true king? I think we can do that. By, by meditating this week on Romans 12, 9 through 16. And I'm going to end by reading Romans 12, 9 through 16 for us today. This is what it looks like. These are marks of a Christian. This is marks of, of, of spiritual worship. He says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Verse 14. Blessed are those who persecute you. Blessed and do not curse them. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another and do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. But do not overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. This is what it looks like for us as Christians to to live a life of spiritual worship that will honor the Lord. And so this week, pick out one, pick out two or three, and just focus on these, these attributes, these characteristics, and pray that you would be um, an ambassador, a great witness. You would be the temple of God that would show people his presence, his love, his mercy, his grace through your actions this week. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Again, this is a passage that turned the world upside down. It is a passage that will help us respond to the coronavirus this morning. Because without this day, we would be in absolute panic, with no peace, with no hope. We would be losing our minds. If this day, if this week did not happen, our lives would be built on the things that are being blown up right now. Our finances, our our jobs, our health. But because our lives are built on the solid foundation, because our lives are built on the cornerstone of Jesus, therefore, there's no need to panic. Because if Jesus has the authority over sin, over death, and over a, a little donkey and his owner, he has authority over this virus. So therefore, Lord, let us have this peace and hope in the face of COVID-19. Let us be reminded that this day, this day one of this momentous week, this passion week, that it still impacts our lives this morning. And Lord, I pray that we don't miss the gravity of this day on our lives as it informs us to live out this week. And let us live out this week in the characteristics that we just read in chapter 12. By your Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask for empowering to live out these characteristics, that we would be a great living temple that would shine the love, the grace, and the mercy of our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Well, again, we have the opportunity um, to take communion together even though we are apart. So go ahead and grab those elements now. Uh, As we know, we know this, this bread symbolizes Jesus' His body that will be nailed to the cross, this juice, this wine, um, symbolizes his, his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sin. And so we, we, we take this. We remember what Jesus did. This is, this is the culmination, the, the pinnacle of what Jesus came to do. He came to die so that we might be forgiven. So let's take these together. Father, thank you for, again, this time that we get to worship you together through prayer, through your word, and through communion. And Lord, may this week, we we, we take a sober look at this week. We meditate on each day and focus on what Jesus accomplished for us on that day. And not only for us, but for the whole world. In the midst of this pandemic, Lord, may the gospel go out in power and grace and truth and might. And may we be the living temples that display that truth so wonderfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Signing off.